I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. first analyst said that there are three ways to learn psychology. Read Greek mythology, read young, and watch. Watching is best. I learn so much from watching, and one of the things I observe most carefully is the exchange of inner alchemical gold. Inner gold is the highest value in the human psyche. It is our soul, the self, the innermost part of our being. It is us at our best, our 24-carat gift to ourselves. Everyone has inner gold. It isn't created, but it does have to be discovered. When I speak about gold in this way, I am also speaking about God. These are two ways to describe the mystery. When we awaken to a new possibility in our lives, we often see it first in another person. A part of us that has been hidden is about to emerge, but it doesn't go in a straight line from our unconscious to becoming conscious. It travels by way of an intermediary, a host. We project our gold onto someone and suddenly we're consumed with that person. The first inkling of this is when the other person appears to be so luminous that he or she glows in the dark. That's a sure sign that something is changing in us and that we are projecting our gold onto another person. When we observe the things we attribute to the other person, we see our own depth and meaning. Our gold goes first from us to them. Eventually, it will come back to us. Projecting our inner gold offers us the best chance for an advance in consciousness. In olden times, people used to put their spiritual gold in the church. These days, that takes place less and less. This is unfortunate. The church would be an ideal place to put our gold, but it is difficult to make it work. This may sound like a joke, but it's not. God is out of his box. In olden times, God lived in the tabernacle on the altar of the Catholic Church, and the priest had the key. God was locked in, and the rest of us were locked out. There was safety in that. But now the box is broken, and God is loose. No one knows what to do about it. I'd love to read a history a hundred years from now to see what we're going to do. There are wondrous possibilities, but if we don't succeed, the consequences could be dreadful. God is high voltage, and if you get more than you can stand, you need help immediately. 
We can't lock God up again. We can't put him back in the tabernacle. In former times, the Catholic priest performed the benediction at five o'clock on holy days. He would bring out the monstrance, a mandala-shaped stem device with glass on both sides. The priest would put the host between the two pieces of glass and hold the monstrance by the stem using his stole so that he wouldn't touch it directly. Then he would turn and show God to the congregation. Those days are gone. God is not in his box or in the monstrance. He's out and firing all over the place. The eruption of alchemical gold is one of the chief signs of this. Alchemical gold can be your best, or it can be your worst. In India, God is still in the box. In this respect, India is a beautiful, peaceful place. Everyone knows exactly what to do. There are laws for everything, and the priest still has the key to the box. If you need to know something, you consult the ancient myths, or ask your guru or your father. God is penetrable, and there are answers. It's like the old Catholic world, where there was a right way to do things, and a priest told you what it was. It's not possible for us to go back to that. We no longer respect authority in that way. We can't get God in the box again, and it isn't clear that we can survive his being out of the box. It is like a 10,000 volt power surge getting into the household wiring and blowing out the circuits. These are desperate times. We have to create our own forms and our own differentiation, and we're not prepared to do it. When Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, we can hardly bear it. We may be pleased for a moment, but suddenly we feel as though we weigh five tons. We can't carry all the weight, even though it is ours and always has been. With God out of his old box, what vessel might contain him now? All psychological powers need a temenos, a boundary, a container. Until recent times, the container has been authority. But today we tear authority down. The tidal wave of accusations, the cry for blood, is us discrediting our gold. We point our fingers and say it's their fault. The only container that can conceivably hold the power of the mystery today is our own consciousness. We've pulled God out of his objective, collective containers and swallowed him into our own psychology. Now we need the consciousness to manage this. So far, we are not succeeding. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I'm Anya. What you just heard was a passage selection of excerpts from Robert A. Johnson's Inner Gold. This is a book that I've talked about a lot on the podcast. It's a little 75-page book of wonder, as far as I'm concerned. A lot of what Robert A. Johnson writes is extremely profound and resonant and meaningful, and he somehow manages to do it in very, very, very few words, which is probably why it's so fucking amazing, because every word is meaningful and everything hits you in like six different ways. So I wanted to read that because I feel like, one, that book was very helpful for me in my life in understanding spirituality 
in understanding psychological projection. Um, psychological projection is often looked at in terms of us projecting negative qualities within ourselves that we don't want to honor, so projecting our shadow outward. But it's not as frequently spoken about how we also do that with our inner gold. Things that we're not ready to embody, we project onto someone else. I think this is a huge, huge reason why we have this whole guru problem that we have. Um, I don't actually think it's about the guru at all. I think it's about the people following the guru and what's going on in our psychology. So I've talked a lot about this on the podcast, I think, in a very sort of removed, objective, theoretical way. I've talked a lot about narcissism, I've talked about white shamanism, and I really wanted to take the opportunity in this episode to tell my own personal story and how I sort of traversed um, the world of spirituality for the first time and what I experienced. I think this uh, quote-unquote spiritual awakening, whatever you want to call it, is extremely common, especially among young people in today's world, and I think we have very, very, very limited resources for understanding it. And I think the examples of a spiritual practice or examples of a spiritual leader, I think, are very lacking, and I think this helps to perpetuate our lack of awareness, our lack of responsibility, and our lack of discernment when it comes to these matters. And I think because I am moving into a space in my life now where I am teaching astrology, um, having astrology come into my life was extremely powerful for me and life-changing, which is an understatement, honestly. But at the same time that I was experiencing all of this expansion, all of this self-knowing, learning basically a new language to look at the world in a way that made it much more beautiful and more potent and more desirable, alongside that I was experiencing a lot of the shadow aspects of not just my own spiritual practice, but of organized spiritual practice in general. And for a while that was very confusing. Um, it's not so much confusing anymore. Now I'm sort of grateful that I was able to experience the full extent of both the healthy and shadow expression of spirituality and of spiritual practices. But I think a lot of the time this stuff is kept in the dark in a way that it really shouldn't be because then we don't have context to understand what we're going through. We don't know whether the person we're following, we should be following. We don't know why we're following them. We don't know what's going on. We don't know if the practices that we're engaging in are actually helpful or actually authentic, or are we participating in a really unhealthy commodification of spirituality world that is missing the point. So today I'm just going to tell a very vulnerable story about my own. <laughs> Can we come up with another word than spiritual awakening? Because that in and of itself is so not what it feels like or what it is. I mean, I guess it's an awakening of sorts, but awakening is um, <laughs> comes in many forms. Um, there's a book that I'm reading now called, called Spiritual Emergency, which might... Uh, 
define that experience for me, I think a little bit more accurately. It was a crisis when it occurred, a crisis of integration, a crisis of identity, a total fucking psychotic crisis is more like what it was. Um, so before I get into all of that, though, I wanted to talk about a few housekeeping items. Um, first of all, as you may have noticed, I haven't recorded a podcast in like three weeks, a month. At some point, I just had to stop looking at the calendar because it was stressing me out how long it had been. Um, but I have been fully, fully immersed in the lunar circle that I launched. Uh, we just started the first lunar circle. The second one is scheduled and up on my website. For those of you that are interested, we still have quite a number of spots. I think we have four people that signed up and 17 spots total. Um, it's interesting. I, I've always been the type of person that's like had an, had a creative idea or been assigned some sort of project and I go whole hog. <laughs> like I'm very singularly focused. I feel extremely passionate and motivated by whatever project I'm working on. And it feels like everything in my life is sort of informing what it is I'm trying to create. And it's sort of hard to do much else other than that, because it also feels like if I don't honor that, then I'm not honor honoring the project and or honoring my creative process. And I really don't want to do that. Um, but it is, you know, it results in unplanned hiatuses from the podcast, I guess, when I get myself so wrapped up into another project. Um, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about the Lunar Circle on this podcast, but um, if you want more information, head back to the intro of the last podcast I did with Dana Muncy's where I describe it more in depth, or go to anyacots.com slash Lunar Circle. Uh, we're basically gathering a group of people together to learn about astrology and learn about their chart by way of a lunar cycle. So the first one has been... <laughs> extremely profound and um it's only been five or six days so I cannot wait to see where we end up at the end of this cycle and I'm really honored that so many of you are trusting me to be your guru just kidding um trusting me to teach you astrology in hopefully a responsible non-guru kind of a way um that's one thing I wanted to say. The other thing is that I have launched a Discord server. Um, this sort of had been in the making for a long time. It's available to patrons only. Um, and I think what I'm going to do is actually, there's one more WhatsApp group that I'm still filling up. So those of you that would like to join the very, very last WhatsApp group for patrons, um, please sign up at patreon.com slash Anya Kotz at the Renegade level. It's $10 a month or up. Uh, but I think after this fifth WhatsApp group, I'm going to phase them out and focus mostly on um, this Discord server that I just launched. And the reason I'm doing that is because, first of all, the entire reason I started the WhatsApp groups to begin with was to introduce you to each other and to allow you all to form community with other listeners. And that's worked really well, but given that the groups are only you know, depending on the specific group, like 22 to 30 people, um, it's just not enough. And I don't, I don't want to keep anyone from anyone else. You know, I want you all to be able to interact. And there was definitely a nice kind of intimacy that was created in those WhatsApp groups, but a lot of them over time uh, died off a lot. 
Um, and then they, you know, a bunch of people are just sort of sitting in a WhatsApp group that doesn't have a ton of action going on. And that didn't seem fair to me. Um, so I wanted to create the Discord server, which would hopefully have like nonstop interaction and nonstop communication so that anyone who was in a WhatsApp group that wasn't super active could go there. I realized that in creating Discord, because it's a bit larger, that this could potentially limit the amount of intimacy or vulnerability um, that you could have with someone. But uh, I've created a lot of like subgroups, subchannels. I'm still learning the Discord lingo. Um, so if you're interested in regenerative agriculture or astrology or you want emotional support or you want to talk about psychology or food or whatever, I've created all of these categories. So you can really go in there and um, communicate with and meet up with people who are like you and who have similar interests. So it is my hope that the vulnerability and the intimacy of the WhatsApp groups continues into Discord. There is still also a contact list for patrons. Um, that's available when you sign up and uh, we're still doing workshops and there's still stickers and there's still t-shirts and playlists and all this stuff. Um, but the Discord server is the biggest introduction. If you want to participate, if you all are already a patron, all you have to do is go into Patreon and connect your Discord account or your Discord server, whatever the hell it's called, Discord to Patreon, and you will be added automatically. Um, so when you go to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz and you want to sign up under the uh, the applicable tiers, it'll say like Discord privileges enabled or something. Um, if you want to become a patron, again, just set, go to patreon.com slash sign up, and you will get access to the Discord server. Um, and I like that it's private, uh, not just for all listeners everywhere, although I do want all of you to be engaged in some way as well. I, I feel strongly about keeping things a bit more private and uh, so people feel a bit safer in being themselves. Um, so if you would like to be a part of this community patreon.com slash Anya Kotz is where to do that. Um, if you would like to learn more about the Lunar Circle or participate in our Lunar Circle that starts in March, I will probably not be offering another Lunar Circle after the one I do in March. Um, that is not for a few months at least. I'm going to take the summer off, so we might be back at it in the winter, but it might not be until then. So if you are interested in learning astrology um, from me, now is the time. AnyaKotz.com slash Lunar Circle. Feel free to send me questions that you may have. Um, but yeah, I'm. Uh, that's always the goal for me, is thinking about ways to connect all of you and allowing you to participate in creating this right now, mostly remote community um, and having that grow into something that's in real life and physical and all around us. That is the goal. So everything that I do with this podcast really has that goal in mind. And if, if whatever I want to do doesn't accomplish community, I don't really care about it and I don't follow it. So, um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's talk about my spiritual emergency, shall we? So our story begins the end of 2016. <laughs> when I decide that I would like to blow up my entire life, get a divorce, and um, change my path. 
And I have to say the the whole I want to change my path thing, it didn't totally start out like that. At first, it just started out with I'm going to get a divorce and everything else will stay the same. Um, and then it became very clear that there was no way that that was going to happen. And in fact, the end of my marriage was just the very, very, very beginning of my total and complete transformation. So I decided to get divorced. It was a lot more traumatic and stressful and anxiety producing than I could possibly ever imagine. Um, I at first thought that because I was the partner who worked from home and who basically constructed the whole house to accommodate my food photography marketing business, food blogger business, um, that I would be able to keep that house. And in fact, it became very clear that that was probably not going to happen. Um, so divorce turned into divorce plus losing my house which eventually turned into me moving to Los Angeles from San Diego where we were moving. I got extremely sick. I've told this story a lot. Um, I forget what number episode it was, but I posted a podcast a while back, a solo show called You Can't Rush Your Healing, which really delved into um, the health crisis that I went through and how it was connected to and always has been connected to my emotional and psychological state. Um, so I was extremely sick. I had uh, pretty severe acne all over my face and I moved into a little cabin in the woods in Topanga and saw nobody for an entire year, which isn't a joke. I literally saw my therapist and my acupuncturist and one friend who also was helping me with work at that time. Um, but other than that, I saw nobody and I spent a lot of time in nature trying to figure out why I was so sick, trying to figure out how to heal and trying to figure out how I got to where I got into in the first place, which involved a lot of um, unpacking childhood trauma, unpacking my own shadow, um, witnessing myself in real time, make a lot of shitty self-harming decisions that was a really difficult one, like being in therapy and like simultaneous to you discovering the ways in which you don't operate in a healthy way, but you're doing it in real time. <laughs> so it's like you're making all of these kind of theoretical, logical, uh, psychological observations. And then you look at your life and you're like, oh, my God, like this is still happening. It's right in front of me. It's a very sort of bizarre experience to have, um, but I had that experience over and over and over again there for several months. Um, and part of what ended up happening during this whole time, which was not planned, but uh, one of the first things I did once I moved out of my house, I was really at this point finally losing it, mostly because my health was deteriorating so quick quickly, which didn't make any sense to me because it felt like but wait, universe, like I just made this decision to go off and live the life that I deserve. And now you're not letting me because I have all this fucking acne on my face. And it's totally terrifying looking and feeling and all of the above. Um, and it was really frustrating to me that I wasn't able to just like go out into the world. Now I realize that that health, that very specific health issue was, I think, given to me to force me to go inward in a really, really intense way. Um, and thankfully, I was able to see it as that pretty early on. But at the beginning, I was not super into it. And um, at one point when things started to just get really bad and I was just emotionally exhausted and confused, a friend of mine had a long-term family friend who was kind of like a psychic or a medium or something. I didn't really know what she was, but I wanted to talk to her because I just needed guidance of any kind. I think this was even before I 
started seeing the therapist that I ended up seeing. I was really in the dark. So I got on the phone with this woman and we had a conversation that was grounding in many ways. And um, one thing she mentioned to me in our call, she had asked for my birth information. She wasn't an astrologer per se, but she used astrology to help guide her in what she wanted to share. So she mentioned something about that I was in a Saturn return and a couple of other things about my astrology chart that I'd never heard of before. So I started Googling them because I was kind of interested just to see what she was talking about. And this led me to finding astrology podcasts, which led me to get an astrology reading, um, which eventually over time really led to me developing a spiritual practice of my own. It started with astrology and sort of expanded from there. Um, but what first happened for me, and, you know, I'm, I would never say that I was not a spiritual person. I certainly didn't practice anything. There was no ritual in my life. Um, I always felt sort of agnostic. Uh, I, I would say that's how I defined myself. I certainly wasn't a part of any sort of organized religion, but I also sort of saw why people were interested in organized religion. And there were some things about religion that had always fascinated me. I studied religion in school. So I was intrigued by religion, but there was really no religious or spiritual option for me that felt aligned. So I just never really moved toward it, but I, I was open. So what ended up happening is I, once I got this astrology reading, you know, one of the feelings I felt really strongly amidst this terror that I was experiencing was this sort of knowing, you know, I remember saying to my mother very early on who I was living with there at the beginning, like, I know this looks horrible. I know I'm more upset and I'm like more sad and suffering more than I ever have before. But I know for some reason that this is where I'm supposed to be. Nothing made sense for a long time, except for that one thing. And I think I just followed that because I think above all else, like that was the one thing that sort of kept me grounded, you know, when everything felt out of control and totally meaningless. The fact that I really felt like I belonged in that place in a way that I didn't even feel like I belonged in other parts of my life or in other times of my life was really fascinating to me. Um, and I just followed it because I think it was calming and reassuring, which is also interesting because I think prior to all of this, I always sort of saw faith or spirituality or religion as, as a bit weak. You know, I, I sort of always asked the question, I hadn't really solidified this for myself, but I sort of always wondered, like, why do people need these sort of external belief systems in order to have meaning in their lives or to be a good person? You know, like, why do you need the Bible to do good shit? <laughs> um, so I sort of saw it as like a coping mechanism. And, you know, in many ways, it was a fucking coping mechanism, but one that I'm really grateful that I was open to because had I not been able to find meaning in the depths there... I mean, to me, it would have been really easy to just be like, well, I'm not, I don't want to be here. There's no reason for me to be here. Why should I suffer through this? Why should I go on living? If it wasn't for the possibility that all of this had a greater meaning, really, why bother? Um, and none, not, this wasn't all totally conscious. I wasn't like, well, I better develop a spiritual practice so that I don't kill myself. But that's just sort of naturally what occurred. I never really considered, you know, ending my life because 
somehow it all fucking made sense, even when I had no information about it. So I got an astrology reading, and one thing led to another, which really led me to think that there was something to this whole synchronicity thing. You know, I would get a reading from, uh, I got a reading from someone who said, you know, I really think this time is going to be about you, like, exploring your sexuality more. And then five minutes later, I found out about some sexuality podcast that I didn't know that it existed. You know, and then I was talking to some sort of healer who mentioned something about my severe liver issues. And then, you know, five minutes later, I was reading something about how issues of the liver connected to unexpressed anger, which was something I was also examining. So all these sort of like signs and clues started appearing along the path. And I was taken aback by them. And I remember at one point during this whole process of just discovering synchronicities that I discovered a quote that said, synchronicity is God's way of remaining anonymous, which I thought was extremely compelling. And it just all, it all just made too much sense. It all just felt like there was something happening around me, above me, in front of me that I wasn't totally sure about. But that felt relatively certain. Um, and of course, part of this was because I had, you know, some people in my life who were supporting me and reminding me that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but more so to that, just as the days went on, things started to mean more. I started to feel a lot more open and aware. I was receptive. I was like listening for things. <laughs> And then at some point, I was like really, truly fascinated by all these synchronicity synchronicities that were occurring. And so I went on Amazon and I bought a book called The Synchronicity Key. I think it was by someone named David Wilcox. And I got this book and I really don't have a ton of judgment on this person. I didn't look. I mean, I guess I did. <laughs> I guess I did Google him after I read this book, but I I can't say that I like know enough about his work to to give you a solid opinion about the percentage of legitimacy that he shared or didn't share. Um, but I get this book, and it's a very sort of like kind of science based complex book about spirituality, sort of giving these very matter of fact explanations for lots of different things like yep astrology is real and here's how it's a, you know here's what you do after you die and this is what karma is and here are the cycles of 27,000 years and here are the patterns and it just sort of went on and on and on and on and on and it made a lot of fucking sense to me like reading that book was like oh okay you're right yes of course that's exactly what happens I mean I had no idea obviously. <laughs> but this was the first, like, spiritual explanation of the universe that I'd really ever come into contact with. And it, I have to say, it made a hell of a lot more sense than the, like, capitalist patriarchal explanation of civilization that I've been told for so long, or the Judeo-Christian, you know, explanation of of civilization and above and about meaning of life. Um, this made more sense than anything else. It was sort of cosmic. It was holistic. It you know, it was fucking cool. Um, but along with it being fucking cool, it blew me apart. Because up until then, I'd obviously operated in a very different world. 
with a very different set of priorities and a very different set of structures. And all of a sudden, I was handed this book that very matter-of-factly described the universe in a totally different way. And that was a crisis. You know, I think that this is this is for me very much, I think, more than anything else, what sparked my own spiritual emergency, spiritual awakening, um, was this book. And then, of course, I found out the author lived in Topanga, which was honestly a synchronicity I did not need on top of the, you know, insanity, the world is magical nonsense that um, I was living under at that time. But it just sort of kept happening. You know, I remember at one point in the book, he said something like, okay, uh, you know, you can see patterns and numbers everywhere if you'd like. And, you know, some people just don't see them because they don't know which number is their number. So just fucking pick a number. So I was like, okay, I'll pick 17 because I was born on the 17th. And then, of course, I'm seeing 17 everywhere excessively and I'm taking all these sorts of pictures. And um, I remember one moment in particular. <laughs> this was probably really a moment of um, reckoning for me. I, you know, this was a very manic kind of an experience. Like I remember getting a reading, another reading from an astrologer during this time who who was like, um, so I can feel your energy from over here, like in this other state over the phone. Um, so I'm, I, I'm going to need you to just imagine a box and then put yourself in the box. And I was like, okay, so what you're telling me is I'm like a manic crazy person right now, which was totally legit. I was excited, terrified, curious, interested, talking a million miles a minute, consuming books and astrology information. Like I was going crazy. And I had some understanding of this. My energy was like at an all time high. Um, but from the outside, I assume it probably looked worse. And I've always thought to myself that I was, I'm really grateful. I actually went through all of this at a time when I was so isolated from the world. Uh, because I feel like if a bunch of people came and hung out with me during that time, they'd be like, this girl's losing her shit. Um, and I, anyway, so I remember at one point I've decided that like 17 is my number or seven even. And I get in the car and I'm going to therapy and I, I see, I keep looking at these license plates and I see that every single one of them ends in seven. It was like eight out of 10 license plates ended in seven. And I'm there literally like driving. I don't know. It was like a 40 minute drive to therapy. I'm like crying, thinking the universe is communicating to me and like that everything is so beautiful and so much more magical than I ever even knew. And nobody knows about this. Nobody knows how easy it is to enter into this other way of being and God will talk to you in this really, truly phenomenal way of every single license plate having your favorite number at the end of it. But thankfully, thankfully, by the time I got to therapy, I started to think a little critically about this. I'm like, okay, that was like maybe too much. Like, is that really, is that really God communicating with me? Or like, is it possible that maybe just most license plates in California or in Los Angeles end in seven? Um... And I think I hadn't quite gotten to the point where I Googled it, but I got into therapy. And as I'm sitting there, I was like just becoming a bit more self-aware and was sort of downplaying the experience that I just had because I realized how crazy it sounded. And then I think the first thing I did when I exited out of that therapy office was Google this. And in fact, yes, uh, it was, I forget whether it was Los Angeles or California, but that most license plates end in seven. So in fact, there was no magical communication from God. 
Um, and, and I had, I had other moments like this, right? Because I, in accepting that the world could be magical, I over-exaggerated that possibility a bit. And what also was happening while I was over-exaggerating the possibility of the world being so magical and God communicating to me in all these different ways, I was also going through this egoic expansion thing where, of course, I felt like I was special and that I had information that other people didn't have and that I was being communicated to and taken care of and protected and informed in ways that other people weren't and that it was my job and my responsibility to share this information with the world. I became very fundamentalist in wanting to share astrology with people and thinking it was right and true and what everyone should be doing. And it didn't really help that I uh, enrolled in an astrology apprenticeship at some point where I was just really feeling really full of myself. Um, and I'm not entirely sure why. I mean, I guess, you know, this is an experience that a lot of people have, but I'm extremely grateful that I got so many blows to the ego during this period of time. There were a lot of things that I did that made me realize I was full of shit. Um, and that was very helpful. I think also, maybe thankfully, I didn't do any psychedelics, which I think leads to a lot of this for people as well. I mean, I think psychedelics are what people use as their synchronicity key book or, you know, their kind of spark to their own spiritual awakening. Um, and then sort of keep going back to that tool. Um, and I think thankfully I didn't do that. I feel like had my mind been expanded any more than it already was, like, who knows, I could have just gotten totally caught up in the magical mess. Um, but I always sort of feel like whatever was happening, there were enough things that, that kept checking me, that kept making me feel like, you know, maybe I was a little delusional. <laughs> this was you know, looking back, I'm extremely grateful for those things because there were enough of them that made me take a step back and look at things in a more critical and discerning fashion. And the other thing that was extremely painful, but that I'm extremely grateful for at the time was also engaging in this sort of astrological world. And I think we can all engage in worlds like this in different ways. I think the leaders of yoga communities, of astrological communities, of any kind of spiritual community, um, I think it's not very difficult to find people who have not done their own work and who are not totally aligned sharing these practices. So like, let's say I hadn't really gone through the reckoning and the self-helpful, self-deprecating, <laughs> self-deprecation that I did in terms of my own ego and my own like guru god status. A lot of people don't actually ever get to the point where they've come to terms with their delusion and then they go on and they become leaders and they become self-made shaman and they become teachers. Um, this is quite rampant, actually. I think, I think those who decide to teach spirituality or who decide to be spiritual leaders, there's something to me tied 
into the egoic inflation that occurs when you have a spiritual awakening and the narcissism that's often present in a leader or a guru, to me, these things go very much hand in hand. <laughs> so it's not totally surprising, but it was something that I was really, really unaware of when I got involved in the astrological community. Um, and I sort of just assumed that anyone who was teaching these things was in and of themselves godlike, right? I mean, it's fascinating to think back about how I was projecting my own inner gold um, at these spiritual leaders in a way that I think we all do. I mean, we do this in our personal relationships as well, but we certainly do this with teachers and leaders. I mean, I think, I don't know, even like the whole eros in the classroom dynamic, I think is very much, um, this whole projection thing is is very present there as well. So I don't know, I, I spent a lot of time being really angry that the person or some of the people that I had chosen to learn astrology from were not in fact the gods and the gurus that I had projected them to be. I'd sort of automatically put them on a pedestal just because I assumed that's where they needed to be. And instead of just taking from them what I could learn and <laughs> setting aside the rest, I... I felt sort of determined to keep them on the pedestal and hold them to standards they were simply unable to meet. Um, but I just couldn't fathom and I couldn't totally accept the fact that, you know, astrology or spirituality could be co-opted like this and that so many people were swallowing it up. And I think part, I mean, honestly, I think most of my anger here and my disgust was at myself. You know, I realized the ways in which I'd propped all these people up or I had assumed a kind of literal interpretation to all of these spiritual books that I was reading and using spirituality as a way to perpetuate my own nonsense. Um, you know, like so, so many things, you know, you take a smart person <laughs> and give them just about any tool and they will be able to shape that tool into a way that serves them. And often serving them means perpetuating the patterns that they're already in. You know, it's so funny to me when people talk about like, oh, Trump should just take ayahuasca and he'll be better. You know, that's not really how it works. None of these tools work on their own. You have to have the willingness and the awareness plus the tool in order for it to work. And a lot of people do not have the appropriate awareness. And I think we see a lot of people out there preaching about psychedelic practices or spiritual practices who have not done any work themselves. You know, the fact that I was able to learn astrology from someone who had never been to therapy themselves. You know, this is for anyone that knows anything about astrology, it's extremely similar to a therapeutic environment. You're talking about your trauma. And it's almost worse than a therapist because the therapist isn't sitting up there pretending they're the voice of God. But an, an astrologer is, is interpreting, you know, these sort of mystical God-like charts. And so there's really nothing to hold them accountable, not to mention there's, you know, no actual proper, not proper training, but there's no... Um, structured training or certification or board who's overseeing the practices of teachers and of apprenticeships and all of that. Um, but this stuff is rampant. 
And I would say the vast majority of spiritual teachers and spiritual practices are extremely unhealthy and are operating on all sorts of toxic frameworks. Uh, there's a lot of, like, you know, the narcissist fawn dynamic happening. There's a lot of spiritual bypass bypassing happening, you know, like, well, you know, I, I engage in these spiritual practices, so I have nothing left to work on, or I teach this spiritual practice, so what I say is right. Uh, there's so, so, so many ways to use spirituality, to use psychedelics to bypass our shadow integration, to bypass actual work. It's just a really pretty <laughs> mask. And it's super popular now. And because the really, um, again, these unhealthy, you know, bordering on abusive types of dynamics, they're so out there online. So many people are participating in them that we, we can't possibly even see clearly. We don't know what is legitimate or not legitimate, especially when it's something that's happening online. You know, it's like you're, it's impossible to know someone, who someone really is. You know, and of course now we see this whole thing morphing into this whole conspirituality thing, right? It's like I am, I mean, I was all, I already had to go through a process of, you know, I mean, just, I use the word discernment a lot, but it is really the the right word. And I think a concept and a practice that we are pretty terrible at across the board. We, we cannot discern um, whether a relationship is good for us, if a person is legit or not, if a leader is legit or not. Um, we just don't know how to discern where... Uh, you know, I, I think this is the discernment is the practice that needs to be focused on in order to embody our own inner gold and our inner God or um, allow someone else to hold it for us in a responsible way. I think without discernment, this process is pretty terrible and will not end up in well at all. <laughs> um, but if we include discernment in this, then we can practice what it's like to embody God in ourselves. We can practice and observe what it's like to allow someone else to embody God for us. But we know that's what we're doing. We understand the projection. We are fully aware of all of the different dynamics that are taking place here. Um, and and you know that's that's really why I've stuck with spirituality and why I'm teaching astrology now and. Because my experiences did not show me that spirituality is bad or wrong. My, my experience did not show me that astrology is 100% of the time bullshit or that astrologers or those who teach or lead in a spiritual context are all full of shit. Um, it led me to realize that most of them are, <laughs> that most of it is unhealthy but where I ended up with it was actually feeling really committed to sharing and helping other people to cultivate healthy spiritual practices and informing people about what, you know, Kundalini actually is. <laughs> and doing my best to showcase myself as a human and 
um, making sure to be very clear and open about how committed I am to walking the talk. And I find that any time that I've sort of tried to step up in my own practice or my own teaching or my own leadership, that along with that comes a crisis often. Um, it just did actually <laughs> in launching my lunar cycle. I had, I don't even know really what to call these things, but like a reckoning and a, um, another layer of my subconscious was revealed to me in a way that it desperately needed to be integrated before I moved forward. And I think oftentimes when we step to, step into a new role or take on a new position of leadership that hopefully, hopefully we enter into a similar experience. Um, like that our capacity to lead is very much tied to our ability to confront and integrate the shadow part of ourselves. But it's extremely hard to figure out if someone has done this, especially if you haven't done it yourself. You know, if you haven't done your own work on yourself, it's impossible to know if someone else has. And at the time when I was very naive and very susceptible to being sucked into cult-like environments was at a point when I was very much still unaware of myself. I was unaware of my own tendencies to project. I was unaware of my own, you know, tendencies to want to be led. Um, all of these different things were really below the conscious level of awareness. And as those things started to come online, I could approach these things in much more intentional ways. But of course, we have to understand that most, most people don't actually have any desire to integrate their shadow. There is no part of them that is willing or desiring of unpacking their shit. Um, and so finding other, finding spiritual leaders or finding a spiritual community that doesn't force them to do that is exactly what they're looking for. There's just all these different levels of denial, all these different levels of psychosis. You know, I, in this book that I mentioned, Spiritual Emergency that I'm reading, you know, it very much talks about like, you can't actually have a spiritual awakening without going through this period of like, basically psychosis. And I definitely did that. I was pretty crazy. <laughs> and I can see when other people are going through this, I can see that manic craziness. They want to share everything. They think they know everything. They can't shut up about it. They use these tools in all the wrong ways. Everything has meaning in a way that it shouldn't. They put more, too much weight in things that really should just be looked at from afar. I, I, I see it very clearly. But the problem is that for a lot of people, they don't ever exit out of that. They don't ever grow out of it. So that same, I'm a god, you know, I'm so special, I see sevens on license plates everywhere because God is communicating to me and I'm a special fucking rainbow light being. Like, that doesn't go away. Those people just stay there because at the end of the day, that's actually easier than going to the next step, which is a fucking shadow integration. And really coming to terms with the fact that even if magic is real, even if synchronicity is real, even if astrology is real, that we live in the goddamn real world and we have to operate in ways that are grounded, in ways that have structure, in Saturnian ways, <laughs> because that's the world we live in, you know? We can't just float up into the cosmos and be there, although I would love that. It's just not realistic, and it's not 
it's not honest and it's not real. Um, but unfortunately, so many people don't, you know, the spiritual awakening to me is just an invitation to get to know yourself better and to understand your psychology in ways that you were totally unaware of before. You make the subconscious conscious, which is a terrifying, like, I don't want to underestimate how terrifying that process is. It's, it feels shameful to, to see yourself <laughs> in ways that you refuse to see yourself before. The grief is unimaginable. Of course, you know, alongside all of this comes, can come a great deal of joy and appreciation and gratitude and being able to see beauty that you couldn't see before. But that, you know, that, <laughs> that doesn't happen unless you go through the pain and the suffering and the grief. But who wants to do that? You know, the spiritual awakening, like that's what it's, that's what it's trying to allow us to do. It's trying to allow us to have faith sort of similar, I think, in the way that I did sort of naturally, right? Like, this is so terrible, but I know there's a greater purpose here. This is so terrible, but I know I'm meant to be here. I think that's really the whole purpose of the spiritual awakening is to give people that sense of meaning, is to give people that sense of groundedness so that they can delve into the depths of their psyche. But if they don't use the tool for what the tool was made for, then they're, they're lost. But they don't know they're lost. And we have no discernment, so we don't know they're lost. And we continue to inflate their ego, and we continue to help them avoid their own process by propping them up on pedestals. And then we do the same so often, right? We also don't want to delve into our shadow. And so we say, oh, look, here's a way to avoid that. I'm just going to be a, a shaman. <laughs> and then no one can question me because I am all knowing, because I know fancy spiritual words and because I've sat with ayahuasca. I wanted to record this episode as, I guess, a word of warning. And and also because I think I'm I'm still quite conflicted and um, I'm very still I'm still very hesitant to step into these sort of spiritual leadership spaces as I feel like I'm inevitably doing by teaching an astrology course. Um, and I, I really I took basically two years off entirely to reassess for myself how I wanted to integrate this into my personal life, but also how I wanted to integrate it into my podcast and how I wanted to or didn't want to share it with other people and whether I had a right to share it, whether I had a right to charge for it, what was it fulfilling in my own psyche to take on this role? Like there was a lot, <laughs> there was a lot to unpack and I'm really glad I took all of the time to work through that so that when I did finally decide I was ready to launch something that I felt really good about it, which I do, it feels clean, it feels honest, it feels authentic. But I want to I want I want these complexities and these nuances to be as above ground as possible for me and for you and for the world. I just want us all to be brutally honest with ourselves about how we're using these tools. I want us to be able to know when someone is abusing it. I don't want any of you to get caught up in cult-like environments. Um, 
you know, it boggles my mind when I listen to people like this conspirituality podcast that I've been listening to, or, or actually I haven't really been listening to it. I I've listened to a few episodes, but I think they make some good points, but for the most part, I'm, I'm just not on board with a lot of their blanket black and white judgments about things. Um, and what all I hear in their voice is this immense anger because as far as I know, one or both of the hosts got sort of caught up in like yoga cults as adults. And so they created this podcast to bring awareness to this um, and to really call out the people that were leading these cults. And to me, a lot of their anger and their animosity has to do with their own unexamined lack of discernment. To me, the question is not how dare you yoga guru be a yoga guru, but how did you get caught up in a yoga cult as an adult? <laughs> you know, I watch these shows, the vow, this or that, and I see how tricky these situations can be to navigate, how brilliant, brilliant and charismatic narcissists are. Believe me, <laughs> this is my life story. I understand. But at the end of the day, this is an unpopular opinion, but at the end of the day, to me, it all comes down to the individual. Who would that Nixium cult dude be if all those people didn't fucking idolize him? Is it really his fault at the end of the day? I mean, we can look at things differently when someone rapes a child, for example, but adults? Whose fault is it really? To me, all of this could be solved if we all developed discernment. Because those those gurus and those leaders wouldn't be anyone if if people weren't following them. That's my feeling, at least. And so I don't want to do what I feel like the Conspirituality Podcast does, or what a lot of people do, which is that they look at these things and they throw the baby out with the bathwater, which is a horrible phrase and saying, so someone should tell me another way to say it. Um, just because therapists are bad doesn't mean therapy is bad. Just because most astrology is practiced in a shitty way doesn't mean astrology is shitty or wrong. You know, just because there are spiritual communities and spiritual leaders who are totally narcissistic and egoic and full of shit does not mean spirituality doesn't work. And once again, it's like we do this flip-floppy thing. It's like either we're a psychotic guru follower or we're an atheist and all of that stuff is bullshit and that's just a really really boring impractical way to live in the world i think i mean we see this everywhere it's in the me too movement right like some just because some men are bad doesn't mean men are bad are bad and doesn't mean masculinity is bad but we don't know how to approach these things in nuanced ways we just don't know how to I think because it's it's just more challenging to do for us. It's way easier to put things in black and white boxes. You're bad, she's good. I'm good, you're bad. I mean, it's all an avoidance. It's all an avoidance of our own shadow. It's all an avoidance of our own participation. It's all an avoidance of looking at our own lack of discernment. And again, that's a lack of discernment with ourselves and a lack of discernment with these communities and a lack of discernment with these leaders. 
So I'm going to keep talking about this stuff. I'm going to keep talking about it in theoretical ways when I, you know, have people on the podcast. I'm going to try as best I can to talk about this in personal ways as I did on this show and just really exemplify for people what this process looks like, how common it is to get caught up in a totally manic psychotic state and how important it is to see that for what it is, to not blame yourself but to slowly work toward dismantling the lies that you tell yourself and the lies that other people have told themselves and the lies that people tell you. I'm fascinated by this process now. I I find this whole thing, this whole crisis of spirituality or lack thereof, you know, I really think it is about what Robert Johnson described in this book. We are truly at a point where we are starting to realize that we are the embodiment of God, but we do not yet fully have the capability of embodying that. So we're in a middle ground, and I think we need to honor that middle ground as much as possible. I think, like Robert Johnson said, we cannot go back, we can't put God back in the box, but we also cannot jump ahead. We cannot just become a fucking shaman overnight. We cannot become a world of perfect rainbow beings walking around. You know, this ascension shit, that thing, do you know how long that takes? (laughs) You don't just ascend or become a 5D being or whatever the other language is. This is a process. And if that's even real, we're at the very, very beginning. We have put our toe onto the trail, the toe of one foot, that's it. And that, the fact that we get to participate in that process, the fact that we are existing as a part of the transition is a beautiful thing. We don't need to rush it. Let the people in our, you know, let our next life be a fucking rainbow ascended being, but it's not going to be in this one. And that's fine. You know, I try to talk about this with millennials too. Like we very well may not see the world change for the better. I'm pretty confident we won't actually. I'm pretty confident that my reincarn my incarnation in this lifetime is just about being here for the darkness and being someone that walks through that and hands it off to the next person who can then hand it off to the next person and hopefully at some point that person sees the light at the end of the tunnel. Just accept the grief of the fact that you know life both individually and collectively, is a journey and that you're not going to make it from point A to point B. I'm sorry, point A to point Z. (laughs) You might make it to like A point two. And that's honorable. And that's good. And I'm not saying don't try. And I'm not saying like, don't make a lot of effort to be as aligned as you possibly can. Fine. But there are just limits to that. And I think the more we can be honest about our limitations and the more we can honor our position in this world and within ourselves as just one little piece of the puzzle and we can treat that little piece with as much respect and as much honesty as possible, the better off the people who come next are going to be. So right now, I think the best we can do is observe The best we can do is learn how to discern. The best thing we can do is 
ask critical questions of ourself and of others, while simultaneously maintaining a sense of openness and curiosity and faith that there is meaning here. We can do all of those things at the same time. And I think that's the most responsible way to move forward. That's the way I'm doing it, at least. So you guys can come on for the ride. We're not. There's a lot of crazy psychedelic shamans you can follow if this isn't your thing. So um, I think I'll leave it at that. A lot of my most intense work in preparing for the Lunar Circle has slowed so I will be back with more normal episodes of the podcast. I have a lot of guests lined up, um, some episodes that I've already recorded that I am looking forward to sharing with you. Again, if you would like to be one of 17 people to participate in the second Lunar Circle, we begin in March. Please go to anyakotz.com slash Lunar Circle. You can read all about the program and sign up. I imagine that we will likely fill that up in probably another week maybe two weeks, but probably another week. I haven't really been talking about it because I've been so immersed in starting the first one. Um, but now I'm back and I imagine that uh, as I talk about it, more people will come on board. So um, would love to have you. Uh, you know, I'm actually, I'm going to read you a message that I got from a woman, Alexis, who is in the first lunar circle. And I, I just want to read this because I feel like it really describes what we're doing. Uh, in the circle or, or what my goal was. And so I'm very, this message actually made me cry. I was very happy to see that this is the type of stuff that's being discovered and unpacked. So Alexa says, oh, we have a WhatsApp group. So we all communicate within the circle. So that's part of um, what you get when you participate. So she says, is anyone else feeling more connected to their signs after the Zoom classes? My Aries son never made any sense to me at all before now. A few years ago, I even talked with an Indian anthropologist about sidereal astrology because that system would put me as a Pisces sun, and it seemed like anything would make more sense than Aries. But knowing the myth brings a lot of clarity. I really love Anya's distinction between bravery and courage. I appreciate getting by with some help from my friends component to the Jason and the Argonaut story and the superficiality of a hero's journey. For me, that's very relatable when thinking about the perceived heroism of my own successes. It makes me wonder if imposter syndrome is an especially strong experience for people with prominent Aries in their charts, acting like a hero, but not necessarily being a hero. Action-oriented instead of impulsive, tenacious more than stubborn, that all makes sense to me. I'm definitely an Aries son, lol. <laughs> So this definitely illuminates for me how misleading pop astrology is, boiling each archetype down to a few adjectives and stopping there. I've always really glossed over the background stories to get to the meat, but now I can see that the mythology is the meat. Is anyone else having these kinds of epiphanies about the archetypes? So that's really what's been such a pleasure <laughs> and... Um, a pleasure to be able to offer and something that I find a lot of meaning in it is, is really helping you all see that so much of what you've learned about astrology is not necessarily bullshit, but as Alexa said, boiled down to such simplicity that's actually impossible to relate to any of it in any kind of a, a true, meaningful or complex way. And what we're doing in this course is really focusing on the mythology behind all of the archetypes and allowing people to learn about their entire chart, not just their sun sign, in order to see 
the full extent of themselves expressed in these archetypes and these stories. So just to give you a little window into what's going on in week one of the first lunar circle. Um, so sign up, please. I would love to have you. Um, and maybe I will do another one sometime next fall or in the winter, but I have a lot of other ideas as well. So if you would like to participate, now may be the only time. Um, I hate that that sounds so like marketing and whatever, but it's true. I don't want anyone to miss out that wants to participate um, sooner rather than later. So anyakots.com slash lunar circle. If you would like to be a part of the very last Millennials Guide WhatsApp group and participate on the Discord server with everyone who's a patron and um, put your information on a contact list and get stickers and t-shirts and have access to playlists and workshops. I did a three-hour Astrology 101 workshop, which is actually required for anyone who signs up for the Lunar Circle. That is available to all patrons, um, and I haven't been able to focus on it a lot, but we're going to be doing a lot more workshops uh, led by myself or former guests of the podcast or former patrons. Um, one of my patrons, Isabel, taught us a class on seasonal foraging, and we have some ideas for workshops that she's going to offer in the future. My friend Jenny, who's an astrologer who's been on the podcast, wants to teach a course about the nodes to patrons. So lots and lots of exciting things happening in the Patreon world. Thank you for being patient with my ebbs and flows. Thank you for listening. Whether this is your, I don't know, how many episodes do I have? 70 something? Or if it's your first episode, thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting me, even if it's just by taking a walk and listening to me Babylon in your ears. Um, I love knowing that there is such a web of community out there, and I cannot wait to meet more of you in person. Um, other ways to support the podcast are just to post about an episode on social media, tag me. Um, if you listen to the podcast in iTunes, if you scroll down all the way past the episodes, you'll see a uh, way to rate the podcast and leave a review. This helps significantly when I ask people to come on the show because that's where they're going to go first to see if the podcast looks like anybody listens or that anybody likes it. Um, and it also helps the podcast show up more in search results. Send me an email. Send me a, an Instagram DM. You know, I want to hear from you guys. I love you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm going to play you out with a song called The Weaver by Trevor Hall. I seem to always play Trevor Hall songs when I talk about spirituality on the podcast. Um, but Trevor Hall, Trevor Hall really carried me through a lot of my spiritual crises. So um, it's not surprising that I, uh, that I turned to his songs. Some of the lyrics to this song that I think um, resonate with me a lot and certainly relate to themes of this podcast episode uh, the master lives and breathes in everything we are. I'm calling to his madmen, the madmen of the heart. Weave me through the dark, madmen of the heart. It's interesting to me how we can lean on the madmen, let's say. The inner, the inner psychotic <laughs> to really allow us to be open to these things and allow us to use spirituality as a tool in periods of crisis, but if we don't see the madman for what it is, if we don't see the shadow for what it is, then maybe that envelops us and we get lost. So we need to be grateful for the, we need to be grateful for the psychosis, you guys. We need to be grateful for the manic state, for doing what it's there to do, and then we come back down to reality with what we've learned. We visit the underworld, we don't stay in the underworld. We also don't stay up in the sky with the Buddha, with the rainbow, all right? Feet on the ground. 
Love you guys. Talk to you next time. My mind man My man man under man another man Like fire on the mountain and bliss upon a star a symphony of thunder I look to where you are all over the country the thieves they like to roam it's you I must remember the one to lead me home the great mother is calling don't waste your precious days time is of the essence heed these words I say the master lives and breathes in everything we are I'm calling to his man man the man man of the heart the man man of the heart weave me through the dark man man of the heart weave me through the dark well, if you reason now you shall surely sink drowning in the water raise your hands up to the king the path that has been shown by ones who've gone before turn your gaze within and start knocking on the door weave your axes well into the fabric of your soul 